Amen. Well, normally, on Mother's Day, the pastor picks uh, these great uh, examples from Scripture of uh, really awesome ladies. Uh, you got, of course, the mother of Jesus. You got Ruth. You got Esther. Um, you got some ladies in the New Testament that helped develop churches. And uh, you got some passages in the New Testament that teach on uh, the characters of women. Um, so don't, please don't take this as an insult to you, but um, I decided to talk about rude ladies today. Um, so uh, nothing personal, not even, a, not even a jab at our church at all. So um, I'm just always fascinated by uh, Jesus' interaction with people. And so we're doing a series um, dealing with how Jesus engages his culture. Um, Because I'm trying to help our church become more engaging to our culture. We've been talking about it since January, that our culture is moving rapidly away from God. But our responsibility as individuals in the church is to engage that culture and pull them back towards God. And uh, there's a great passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus does exactly that. Um, He engages a very, very rude lady... And I'm just going to walk you through this because she has a bunch of walls up and uh, she's built a long list of uh, issues in her life. And she's got this this deal where uh, she's just going to keep pushing Jesus back and put a wall between her and Jesus. And Jesus is just going to keep going over the wall. Um, he's actually ignores the wall. So I want you to see how that happens, because I think this is a great way for you to learn how to share with people uh, in the issues of life. And uh, how to help them and not let them pick fights with you about your faith. And, you know, people like take shots at Jesus. And, you know, if he was a really loving God, he wouldn't let people suffer and all that kind of stuff. This is a way to look at some of that and kind of work through it differently. And uh, so John chapter 4, let's just start there. Um, Verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing... Uh, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and he departed again into Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. A little quick history lesson here. Um, the Jews do not go through Samaria unless there's some uh, reason they absolutely have to. They always they actually had a road around Samaria because the Jews don't like the Samaritans. And the Samaritans don't like the Jews. The Samaritans... Um, were what in, in their culture were called half-breeds. Uh, they were interracially married with Jews and uh, Gentiles. And so the Samaritans sort of had this mixed up background and past and history. And they built a little city all to themselves because you know, the Jews didn't really like them because they weren't fully Jewish. And the Gentiles didn't really hang out with them because they had some of the Jewish stuff with them. And so there's all this controversy. And Jew, devout Jews just didn't even like anything to do with Samaria. Um, as a matter of fact, if uh, the other famous, there's a famous story that Jesus tells about a Samaritan. You remember it? About the good Samaritan, we call it? You remember the lawyer who was a devout Jew? When Jesus asked him, after he tells the story about a Samaritan that stopped on the road to help, um, and then Jesus says in that, in that confrontation in the temple with this lawyer, who was the good neighbor? The right answer would have been the Samaritan. That's not what the man says. In Luke chapter 10, the, the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. He's not even going to open his mouth in the temple and use the word Samaritan because uh, he's a devout Jew and they just don't get along. So there's all this controversy. Well, here's Jesus and it says they had to go through Samaria. Departed again and he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. So it's quite historical. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Then came a very rude woman of Samaria uh, to draw water from Jesus. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Uh, Verse 8. And his disciples had gone away from the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said, Sure, are you thirsty? Glad to have you in our town. Good to have you. Wow, are you from out of town? We don't get many Jews through here. Good to have you. Did she say any of that? No. Matter of fact, if you read this story, she, as far as we know, she, he never got a drink of water from her. Okay? So here's the deal. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a, me... Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. First wall, real simple. It's a racial wall. It says, hey, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We don't do that together. We shouldn't even really be talking. Uh, It was a common barrier of that day. It was easy to let it be a separation. Uh, And in our culture, it's easy to let ourselves get separated by race. Um, It's been said often, it's in a lot of the newer... Uh, books on church growth that the most uh, racially divided time of any week is Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the most racially divided time of any week um, because there, there are churches of all different races that meet with their own race and they don't uh, meet together to worship the same one Christ. And so um, I hope as a church, and I think you've seen us set the example of that, but I hope as a church we will continue to embrace all races. There, by, by the way, race is a... a, a a term that mankind came up with. There's really biblically, if you study this, biblically there's one race of men. It started with your great, 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 many, many great Moore's grandfather, whose original name was Adam. Everybody in this room, and it doesn't matter who you put in this room, has one ultimate great, 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 great infinity grandfather, and it's Adam. Adam and Eve started the the race of mankind that God created on this earth. There are no multiple... We created the divides. matter of fact, in the Bible, Jesus doesn't call them races. He calls them tongues and nations. Tongues and nations are fine. But those still don't divide. That's just how we divide up our lands and our continents and our people groups. You know, and some of our ethnicity gets caught up in that. But there are no races in the Scripture. And so here's this lady drawing this massive line... And uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians that we should have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So along with seeing the wall, I want you to know what, what is registered in Jesus when that wall hits. I want you to see Jesus' mindset. In Galatians chapter 3, Jesus makes it crystal clear that there are no racial divides. Galatians 3, we studied the book of Galatians for a long time. And it's, he says in 3.26, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In Jesus' mindset, he already knows there's no divide. But the minute he asks for a drink of water, this lady goes, wall, racial wall, not Jew, Gentile, nope, 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 Jew and Samaritan, not going to do this talk. And Jesus is like, there's no such thing. But does he attack that with her? No. No, the second wall, of course, it's kind of subtle in this one. There's a subtle wall. She seems to impose that he's a man and she's a woman. Why would you, a man, ask me a drink? Of course, in the culture, 
It wasn't uncommon for a man to actually be able to order a woman around. Um, but since he's a Jewish man and she's a Samaritan woman, and by the way, she's a uppity Samaritan woman. I mean, she's, she's pretty in his face about this. She did not bow to submission into him that quick. She just didn't do it. Okay, so she's got some, an edge about her that's really bold. And she's saying, I don't even know why you would think that. What's in your goofy mind that you would even ask me for a drink of water? It's kind of what's coming out of her mouth. So here's this second wall of man versus woman, and the Galatians passage covers that real clear. Uh, there's neither Jew, Greek, slave, or free, male nor female. Matter of fact, Jesus teaches the disciples in heaven there's, there's no male or female. There's no gender. We don't, we don't divide up that way. So Jesus' mindset can't even register on her scale where her wall is. He can't even register that. So he says to her, and, and this is his response. He says, uh, you know, if you only knew who I was, look at what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I want to boil that down to how it translates to me, because I've thought through this a whole bunch. I've read this passage a bazillion times, and I absolutely love this moment in, in Jesus' life with her, because he has so many bullets in his gun to destroy her theologically, you know, pragmatically. I mean, he can take so, social, economic rows with her. He can just tear her apart right here. And say, you have no concept of what you're talking about. That's not what he does. He simply asks her, and I'll boil it down to a real simple question. Aren't you thirsty? That's what he asked her. But aren't you thirsty? You know, sure, I'm a Jew and you're a Samaritan. I'm a man, you're a woman. But aren't you thirsty? Now, where are they? They're at the well. Why'd she come to the well? Because she's thirsty. Is he talking about that kind of thirst? No. Because Jesus is going to go deep into her life. And so he literally meets with her... In her uh, place where she's very, uh, and he just takes the whole edge off and he goes, hmm, you know, if you just, if you had any way to slow that train down a little bit and kind of back up, wouldn't you want some living water? And I really think he's just saying, isn't your soul thirsty? You know, aren't you thirsty? Do you have to fight everybody? You know, you want to go, do you have to pick a fight with everybody that shows up in your town? Are you like the town brawler? What's the deal with this? But he does, he just says, you know, if you only knew who this who was talking with you, isn't your soul thirsty? You know, that's that's his that's his focus. And he ignores the walls because he's relational. Please remember this. Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, um, the head of our church. The one who died for you is never anything but relational. All through the scripture, he is relational. He's building relationships. And so he's not legalistically minded. He's not, he's not uh, racially minded. There's, there's no uh, anything else in him except just love. And he, so he says, aren't you thirsty? And then she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Um, um, where then would you get this living water? You're not, now listen to this, here's, a, here's another wall. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Well, duh. Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and even his cows drank from this well. Now she's got this wall called her ancestry. 
And uh, she's saying, your ancestors, I don't, you know, you're a Jew, and I don't know if you know the history of this place you're standing on, buddy. But man, th- this is where Jacob's cows drank water, right where you are. I don't know who you think you are. You know, you're not greater than that, are you? Well, you know, Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who can open his mouth and speak universes. You think he might be a little greater? But does he take that on and go, let me just prove that to you for a minute here. I'll create a son just for you or something. He doesn't do any of that. He just lovingly, patiently looks at her and begins to address the question. She was saying, look, I have this rich, rich heritage as a Samaritan. This is my ancestry. This is my past. My, I, I, am, I am a grandson of Abraham and Jacob, and his sons drank from this well. But you being a Jew, you wouldn't understand any of that. Oh, yeah, they don't understand anything about Abraham, do they? <laughs> you wouldn't understand any of that. You wouldn't understand my past. She's saying, you can't relate to me. Don't start relating to me. Remember, he did ignore that first wall, the racial wall. So now he's, she's taking another stab and saying, I don't know what you're thinking, but we're not going to have some sort of friendship here. You can't relate to me. Push back. Can't relate. You ever had anybody do that? Well, you can't. When you try to share the, your, you know, what's going on with you and God in your life, and they go, that's great for you, but you just don't understand my past. You don't, you don't know what it was like to be in my home when I was raised in my home. You know, I was raised with a, in a broken home, or I was raised in an alcoholic home, or, or uh, I was an only child, or... I have this crazy family and crazy extended family or you don't know my in-laws or whatever. The, the, the deal is you, they draw these lines and they say, I watch all these couples look at each other when I said in-laws. It's okay. Don't get mad at each other on Mother's Day. It's okay. But you've you know, you got to look at it and go, you know, there's not all this divide in there. When this woman's saying you can't relate, Jesus is going, oh, man, am, am I not greater? But in Jesus' mindset, you got to look at what he would be already registered in his head as reality for him. There's a passage in John chapter 10 that he'll teach the disciples uh, not long after this, where he says, John 10 verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for my sheep. Now in this passage in John chapter 10, Jesus has said, he is the sheep, or he is the sheep, He's the shepherd of the flock that belongs to him. He's the shepherd of the flock in John chapter 10. And he's telling the Jews, there's a flock that belongs to me. There are wolves that are coming into that fold, by the way. That's the Pharisees. John 10 is all about the Pharisees being bad guys. But he's saying there's these wolves that come in, but my sheep, they know me. And when I talk and walk, they follow me. They don't... They don't those sheep don't get lost into the teachings of the Pharisees. They're not following the wolves. They're following me. My sheep know me. But later on in the passage, he says this. I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep. Now, he's talking to Jews. He says, I have other sheep that you don't know anything about. They're not of this sheepfold. And I have to bring them also. They will also listen to my voice. They will be one flock and one shepherd. The other sheep are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Jesus is telling the Jews in John 10, you know, you guys got this little corner on the market on who you think God is and all that because, you know, God chose the Jews to be his chosen people in the Old Testament. Jesus says, well, hey, there's some of you that are following me, but there's this whole other flock you don't know anything about. They're going to follow me too, and the two are going to be one. 
That's what Jesus is saying. And so in his mind, he already knows with this Samaritan woman. The ancestry thing has nothing to do with anything. Jews and Gentiles, no Jews, no Greeks, no Gentiles, no, no slave, no free. He's like, they're all one. So this dumb wall you've put up means nothing to Jesus. Nothing to him. So Jesus lovingly again ignores the wall. And he says, everyone who drinks the water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him, John 4, shall never thirst. The water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Translation, aren't you thirsty? Jesus is going, I get the battle you want to fight with me here. But, but aren't you thirsty? Aren't you thirsty? That's what he's asking the question. Aren't you thirsty? His response just is the same thing. He's not going to fight the fight with her. He's not going to address the ancestry. And could he? Oh, my goodness. You talk about a lineage. You know, his grandfather, you know, as an earthly uh, ruler, his grandfather goes back to David. You know, so he can trump her deal with Abraham with David. Not a problem. He doesn't pick that fight. He just says, isn't your soul thirsty? He's not explained that she's bigoted. He's not pointed out her condemning nature. He's just talking to her about some really good water that God offers a soul. You know how you witness best to people? You keep living your life with hope and joy and peace before them. And when they wrestle with issues, you just keep asking them. But aren't you thirsty for more? Don't you want more? Don't you want more in your life? Isn't your soul thirsty so the woman says, now she's kind of got her interest peaked up because she's not fighting the battles with her. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. That's when Jesus decides to address the issues of her life. He says, go and call your husbands to come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Now, Jesus could have right here, right here, Jesus could have said, liar. You're a liar. <laughs> Not what he says. He says, well, uh, you have correctly said you have no husband. You actually have five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. He's like, yeah, the guy you're living with is not your husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You had five husbands. but now, So here's this bigoted, arrogant, immoral woman who's pushing back at everything Jesus says. And Jesus has yet to just blast a hole in her. Because his way of relating, his way of engaging this culture that she's lost in is just to keep asking her, but aren't you thirsty for more? Your soul is thirsting for more. Now, obviously, her lifestyle betrays that. But here's that fourth wall. It's called hidden sins. That fourth wall is called hidden sins. This woman has a secret past and a secret uh, sin. And uh, she is hiding behind it. She's, she's trying to hide it. But Jesus, of course, he knows all. Decides it's time to expose that just to her lovingly. Just to bring that truth out. Why? Because he can do that. And I want to tell you this as Christians when we're sharing with people that are lost. People that are living in sin. Uh, because he didn't judge her. He didn't do it condemningly. You know that he, what's in his mind? When he's talking to a sinner, what's in his mind? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that... Um, 
and to the world that whosoever believes in him would not be saved but have eternal life. John 3, 17. And he came into this world. Jesus, God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he has no condemnation for this arrogant, immoral, rude, rude, bitter Samaritan woman. No condemnation for it all. So he can look right into her eyes, right into her eyes, after asking her multiple times, aren't you thirsty? He can look right into her eyes and say, but you're not right yet. You got some, you got some stuff you need to deal with. There's some sin in your life. And he does it with zero condemnation. Now, for her to become a woman of faith, which she will by the end of the story, um, for her to become a true woman of faith, a Christ follower, she's going to have to acknowledge her sin. So he can't ignore that sin. You've watched him ignore the other walls. He's not going to ignore the sin. That's why he said, hmm, that's true. You're not married. You had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. Um, so he didn't ignore the sin. And I want to say to us as Christians, when people talk about us being tolerant, um, it's okay to understand sinners are sinners. But when they want to come to Christ, they have to acknowledge that sin before Almighty God. Here she sits at a well right before God, and it's time. You're going to acknowledge it or you're not. So when you're helping lead somebody to faith, they have to acknowledge the sin. And it's way easier for them to do that if they know you have no condemnation. I don't know how many people I've had sit in my office wanting to tell me a problem. And they're scared to tell me because it's a, a dark, painful thing, something they've done messed up. And so I just read Romans 1.8. I say, here's how I practice ministry with everybody. There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I read John 3.17. He did not come to condemn this world. So whatever sin or struggle you have, you can lay it out right here. Because I have sins and struggles in my life. We're equal. We're equal. We'll just work through it together. So then the woman says... Well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now she's waking up a little bit. She's t- the edge is off, by the way. Now the edge is off. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our but here's the other wall. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, listen to how that sounds. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, see the line? There's you and us. That's how we're going to keep it, no matter how much you know about my past. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Fifth wall is the religious wall. She's saying, look, you have a system and a place and a a thing and a way of worship, but we're still very different. Even if you are a prophet, even if you know all this stuff about me that I have no idea how you know, you're scaring me. There's too much about us that's different. You ever had somebody tell you that when you're trying to share your faith with them? We're just too different. I don't think we could ever be like that. I don't think I could ever trust Jesus. We're just, it's just too different. That's what this woman's saying. Look, you do it your way, I do it my way. There's these religious walls that we've drawn, and uh, I'm not going to cross that boundary. Now, Jesus declares his mindset in the passage right here. He says, look, true worshipers, they worship the Father in heaven. One day, the true worshipers will worship the Father in heaven. One Father, one way. There's only one way, one name whereby we must be saved. Acts says it very clear, Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. None. No other name works. Nothing else works. And so Jesus is saying to her, there's only one, one way. One way. And that's to worship our Father in heaven. He says, John 4, 
you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now listen to what he says. For such people, the Father seeks to worship him. He's like, God's been looking for you for a long time, you crazy, immoral, Samaritan, rude lady. What he says, just lovingly, God's been seeking true worshipers. God's been seeking you for a long time. You can tell bitter, angry people, you know what? God's seeking you, even though you're bitter and angry. I can see anger all over you and bitterness all over you. I can see how you're just living this crazy world where you're trying to find and satisfy your soul with something besides God. Aren't you thirsty for more? That's exactly what Jesus has said to her over and over. Aren't you thirsty for more? Wouldn't you like to have something to satisfy your soul? God's looking for people just like you to be his true worshipers. He wants that relationship with you. So Jesus lovingly ignores all the walls because he's relational, because he's not legalistic, and because he's son of God. He just wants to know, are you thirsty for more out of life? At this point, his disciples come back. And I want to just tell you that there, if there's a place and a time in the scriptures where the disciples embarrassed Jesus... This is it, right here. They come back in and they start whispering in the background of the scene with Jesus and the woman at the well. Now he's ignored all these insane walls that she's built and just loved her to know uh, into a relationship with God. And she's right there. And here they, the disciples come back. And it says they were amazed that he had been speaking with them. And no one said, but no one said, what do you seek? Why do you speak with her? Because she looks immoral. She looks all messed up. Why would he be talking to a crazy looking lady like that? Now remember what it said at the beginning of John chapter 4? Jesus said we have to go through Samaria. Why? Because God is seeking a really rude lady in Samaria. God is seeking this woman out to make sure she hears Jesus Christ say, my water can satisfy your very soul. And so all the walls that she's building, he just ignores them all and lovingly keeps dealing with her thirst for more. I want to say to you, the disciples are an embarrassment to Christ at this point. Because they walk up and they don't go, hey, great, new friend, who's your friend? Can we meet her? What's going on? Do you know who this is? (laughs) They don't do any of that. They're like, ooh. Do you see how she's dressed? Oh, my goodness. And they're they're freaking out over Jesus loving a lost person. Ever had Christians look at each other and freak out when some Christian goes out and reaches out to a really crazy-looking, crazy-acting, sinful lost person? We shouldn't be doing that. We should be cheering them on and going, yeah, you go. Man, if you can lead those people to Christ, that's great. Let's get after it. But the, John Ortberg, one of my favorite modern-day writers, pastors, he says one of the greatest assets, the greatest thing that can make a person want to know more about Jesus Christ and become a true Christ follower is a fully devoted, sold-out Christian 
whose heart and soul is full of joy, hope, and peace. That's one of the greatest assets we have to help lost people come to Christ as a church. Do you know what the church's worst asset is that drives people away from the church? Christians, the same thing. But it's when they're not fully devoted followers. It's when they're all about themselves and they just have this judgmental, condemning behavior. That's what the disciples walk up with in their heart. And by the way, the the lady walks away. Look at what it says. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city. She didn't even take her water pot home. She was so freaked out by them. And, and by the conversation she had with Jesus. She goes to the city and she says, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out to the... By the way, the Greek there is, I've found this is the Christ, isn't it? It's more positively worded. They went out to the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, you need to eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He's like, my soul is so satisfied right now. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Don't you say there's only four months coming and then the harvest? I say unto you, behold, look, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They are already white unto harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages is gathering uh, fruit for eternal things. Uh, So then he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case... The saying is true, one sows, yet another reaps. I send you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. He's literally telling the disciples, you need to look out who's coming across the field. He's not saying look onto the fields around the well. Because coming across the field, or the, it, it says later in the book of John 4, it says the entire town of Samaria is going to come out to this place. And have a revival. They're fixing to have a big old revival. A three day revival. At the well of Jacob. Where his cows used to drink. Because Jesus Christ has been revealed right there. And this immoral, rude, bigoted, arrogant lady. Has gone back into town. And evangelized a whole bunch of people. Well she didn't go to Bible college to do that. She didn't have any Bible classes. She wasn't even in a good Sunday school class. How could she evangelize? She just simply went, hey, you need to come meet the guy that I just met. That's what evangelism is. You need to meet the guy that I just met. He looked into my heart and soul. And he satisfies. He can deal with you. Are you thirsty? I know the guy that can help you. She left her water pot. (laughs) She just completely abandoned the work she was doing to go get people and say, you need to meet this Jesus. You know what your heart should be? This lady's heart. After she realizes who Christ is. It should be to go get thirsty people and bring them back to where the living water is. That's what your heart should be. All of us have the ability, all of us have the ability to make people thirst for more. If we live according to the scriptures, we make people thirst for more. When your life is stable in the midst of crisis, when your life is solid, when you're standing on the solid rock of Christ in the midst of turmoil and trouble... When your hope is secure and sound, it makes people thirst for more. We have the ability to make people thirst for more. And the fields are wide unto harvest. The fields are absolutely wide unto harvest. The Samaritan who didn't even like Jews, she didn't even like the Jews, 
were ready to know Jesus. She, she was already going to tell them that we need to know Jesus. Now listen, we look at our culture and we think there's no way. There's no way in the world we can put a dent in this, I'll just use the terms we studied a few weeks ago, in this materialistic, hedonistic, narcissistic culture. There's no way we're going to put a dent in that. That's how we feel as Christians when we look at how bad the culture is and what's there. But if you were a disciple at the Samaritan well, you'd look at the Samaritans and go, there's no way we're going to get through to them, especially through her. She's the worst example of any of them. Why would we even talk to her? I want to say to you, God chooses who he chooses to minister to and to help. And anybody, a homeless person, a a person you just bump into at the at the uh, gas station when you're just paying for your gas. Anybody can be an evangelist and lead hundreds to Christ if we are just open and willing to hear the voice of God to tell us to talk about what Jesus did for us. It says at the end of this passage, from that city, many Samaritans believed in him because of the words of the woman who testified. He told me all things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his words. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard ourselves and know that this is the one indeed, this is, this one is indeed the savior of the world. There's a town revival that took place with one rude woman that just needed to satisfy her thirst. And Jesus couldn't fight the fight. I want to tell you, there's all these people on the internet. These, uh, they, what do they call them on, uh, the trolls on Facebook. These people love to find some Christian and, and take a jab at you. In, in your little, you know, they, they put something in your deal when you put a verse up or something. They put a little verse like, well, if God loved everybody, he'd, you know, there wouldn't be any suffering or something. And w- foolishly, sometimes we pick a fight with that guy, you know, or that girl that's doing all that. And <laughs> I think part of the deal was sometimes we just need to go, aren't you thirsty for more? Do you have, is your whole life sitting at a computer picking fights with your fingers typing? You're picking, you know, some sort of battle on the computer with people? That's nuts. Is your life not any more than that? Because my life's way more than that. You know, and I'm very satisfied. I'm very grateful for who God is in my life. So sometimes I think when we, when we encounter those people and they take jabs, you just got to go, but, yeah, but aren't you thirsty for more? I'm not going to battle that battle with you. That's stupid. Aren't you thirsty for more? The drug addicts and the alcohol addicts down the street from us or in our own families... You know, they're thirsty. They're searching for something that satisfies. Your sons and your daughters, you know, the, the people, people in your neighborhoods that are facing daily, daily deep depression, they are thirsting. And you and I have the answer. We have the answer. We just need to be willing to say, aren't you thirsty? Don't you want to meet the one who satisfied my soul? That's our responsibility. Jesus is constantly saying, I am the source of true thirst-quenching life. I have living water that will fulfill all of your thirst. It'll actually be a wellspring that springs up in you and satisfies everyone who spends time knowing me around you. That's how it works. He's the living water. Jesus can satisfy anybody's soul for all of eternity. All of eternity, your soul can be satisfied if you just know Jesus Christ. And that's the 
really that's the challenge that's before us today, is to become men and women who tell other people about Jesus and his soul-satisfying water without fighting fights with them. We don't have to fight fights with them. We can answer their questions. We can deal with some of their, you know, they got science and history stuff going on, and they're all lost in that, and how do you know the Bible's real and all that? We, if they're serious about that, not just picking a fight, there's lots of great stuff to show them all that. But if they're just picking a fight, you can go, hey, aren't you thirsty for more? Do you have to fight about everything? Aren't you thirsty for more? I want to ask you to pray now. Let's bow our heads and pray as we close. And